You're listening to Adam Air MDGED Underground Cartoon Therapy. You guys remember the days when the Twilight Zone wasn't real? <laughs> what happened, man? If you go back and you listen to this episode called When the Shit Hits the Fan, and there's a picture of me and Keith Morris from Black Flag and Circle Jerks and off, and, you know, it's me and him hanging out in L.A., um, and I use them because I use the song When the Shit Hits the Fan. Anyway, <laughs> you know, I talk about it briefly on there about hunting Nibiru and how I was able to chase Nibiru, and I also learned about the Mandela effect at the same time. Now, take into consideration, these are two very different subject matters. you got one that's about broken quantum physics, and you got another one that's about astrophysics and shit like that, where you got a miniature solar system that comes in and out of our orbit like a fucking teeter-totter every goddamn 3,600 years. Two very different things. This one's not about Nibiru necessarily. This one's about the Mandela effect. I've had it on episodes before. I talk about my friend Fernando on that when the shit hits the fan episode. Go fucking listen to that fucking episode, please. Especially if you fucking give a fuck about uh, the Mandela effect and Nibiru and how to track Nibiru and crap like that. Anyway... Today I got my fucking buddy Josh on the horn. We're going to fucking talk about Twilight Zone contrast with the Mandela effect and other shit. There's a bunch of stuff we cover because, you know, this we get I get baked. <laughs> I don't ever keep it on one thing, but we're all over the board. And that's kind of how I like it because there's too much shit to talk about. And talking about one thing all the time can be really monotonous. So I try to fucking make it a Cracker Jack philosophy fucking variety pack for you. Here's... A sample from X-Files, Season 11, Episode 4. Josh tells me what the fucking name of the episode is on here. I'm on YouTube and it doesn't tell me. It just has the name of the segment. So anyway, this the name of this segment from whatever episode this is, Season 11, Episode 4, is an experience that I've had before with Fernando... When uh, we heard that the Star Wars thing had changed with the Mandela effect, which was, there's a, there a few of them, C-3PO's Silver Leg, blah, 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 but this one's about the line, you know, Luke, I am your father. You know fucking that line's in the goddamn movie, but now that the quantum timeline is broke and the Earths are fusing into each other's realities is my own guess. Thanks to CERN. This doesn't have anything to do with CERN, but it is Mulder, you know, fucking freaking out about a Twilight Zone episode. Let's, let me shut the fuck up and let's listen to it. Hold on. It's not in here either. Uh, Mulder, what I don't understand is how this guy knew about your secret rendezvous signal. Who cares about any of that, Scully? I can't find the lost Martian. When he said that that episode of The Twilight Zone didn't exist, that's when I knew he was a crazy person. It's a classic. So I came over and I checked my box DVD set and it wasn't on there. I checked all my episode guidebooks, no mention of it. I searched online, nothing. 
So now I'm going through my tapes because I'm sure I recorded it at some point. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe it's one of those other shows, like Outer Limits. Or... Confuse the Twilight Zone with the Outer Limits? <laughs> Do you even know me? <laughs> Can we talk about this over dinner, please? I'm not going to be able to eat until I find this ever again. It can't be that good of an episode. It's, it's not about the episode, Scully. It's mm -hmm. about my memory of seeing my first Twilight Zone. It changed me. You don't forget that. I was eight years old. My parents let me stay up till midnight because that was back in the day when it only aired, you know, late at night on some local channel. Wait, what? And my name's not Buddy. I remember it all so clearly, as if it just happened. Hmm. Well, that's what today's episode is about. It's about misremembering shit, the things we don't know about, the things we thought we knew, the Mandela Effect, Twilight Zone episodes, all kinds of shit. So stick around, and uh, let's get this fucker rolling, huh? Jesus. Wanted to do some Twilight Zone shit i got my buddy josh on the phone how you doing out there josh doing good i think the timing is great you know uh, i remember when i was a kid back in the days before on-demand video we uh generally had to wait up or wait for a few special times during the year memorial day thanksgiving christmas eve for uh twilight zone marathons and those were probably my favorite time of the year for broadcast mm. television so yeah i'm really excited um especially since we've been basically living in the twilight zone uh the whole last year so it's uh i think it's pretty appropriate you know i think earlier this year i called you up and i told you i woke up from a dream with a complete rod sterling um monologue in my head and i wrote it down immediately and i think you used it as a bit for one of your shows earlier this year um so yeah i mean it's this whole entire time has felt like that i think it's really also interesting because uh just in some stuff that i've been reading it's around the ideas of the weird and the eerie um and i'll just do a quick breakdown the idea of the weird is when something that is kind of non-normal comes into normal reality. Oh, yeah. Right? And then the eerie is actually defined by the absence of something that's normal. So, you know, we're seeing a lot less people on the streets or a lot of us are alone without our families or without a Christmas tree or any of those kind of things this year. Um, so, you know, we're kind of living in both the weird and the eerie. We have this virus and all the kind of everybody's kind of losing their shit kind of deal. And then on the eerie end of the spectrum, you know, just uh, there's the absence of normalcy. So we're sort of in both right now. I agree. Yeah, yeah it hasn't been any weirder than uh, this, you know. Um. <laughs> Uh, in a lifetime. I'm sure. I'm sure other people might have begged to differ, but staying around, you know. Dude, I think every day of 2020 has been a fucking battle battlefield day. I think I've had probably a, a total of you know less than a week of peace out of this whole fucking year. I can't believe it, man. I mean, I can, but uh, I guess that's what this episode's going to be about, guys. Um, kind of taking a look back at 
when Twilight Zone watching it on TV was a lot more normal than living it. <laughs> Welcome to the Twilight Zone episode, guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, man, I think that, you know, um, I'm really hung up on uh, the um, Mandela effect shit. I think that that <laughs> I can't get past it, you know. Um, well, did you, did you watch that episode of the X Files that I recommended? No, actually, I haven't. Which one was it? It's called "The Lost Art of Forehead Sweat," hmm. and yeah, it was written by uh, Darren Morgan, the guy who wrote the um, what's it called, uh, Clive Bruckman's Last Repose. And also uh, Jose Chung's from Outer Space, which are, if anybody's an X-Files fan out there, um, those are like the best, most hilarious episodes in the world. So yeah, um, highly recommend it. Definitely talks a lot about the Mandela effect, the idea of memory. Um, and actually, <laughs> bringing it all home, it starts with uh, Fox Mulder misremembering a Twilight Zone episode. Oh, Okay. There's kind of a mashup of the one where there's the the aliens with the bus kind of thing. You know, the guy goes into the bar or the the diner, and he's like, you know, the aliens are everywhere, blah 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 blah. And it turns out that the uh, the soda jerk. Sorry if I'm spoiling the. Uh, the no, feel free, man. But you know, the soda jerk guy turns out to be an alien after the guy keeps talking about it a long time. So there's uh, the. The X Files episode kind of has that as a mashup of a whole bunch of different things, and Fox Mulder misremembers it and tries to, for the life of him, look through all of his Twilight Zone episodes, look through all of his Outer Limits episodes. Right? He has all of that stuff because he, you know, that's what he grew up on as a kid. He can't find it, and he can't find a single reference to it, and it just opens up this entire funny, great critique on everything that we're kind of experiencing in our society as a whole. And that's one of those, um, I think it was season 11. So those were one of the two reboot seasons where they just had like six episodes. So it's in the newer, it's in the newer, uh, ones that they had brought back. Yeah, exactly. So it's just, and it's a standalone episode. It's not like, you know, the alien goo cigarette smoking man stuff. What what was kind of the conclusion that he, uh, that he comes to (laughs) on there? The conclusion that he comes to is, uh, oh God, this is a real big spoiler alert, but actually I'm leaving it in, out so many juicy plot twists and details, <laughs> so everybody should watch it. It's just like, you know, you get your uh, Laffy Taffy, you get your gummy bears, you get your uh, three-layer gelatin, you get all of that stuff. It's right. All, all treats in that one. But the, the very end, which kind of makes it sound boring, is... Uh, an alien gives him a book with all of the answers to everything, right? Uh huh. And he's just bummed out that, <laughs> that, there's no more, that there's no more mystery in life after you after you have all the answers for everything. But it's uh, it's it's great. It's it's hilarious. It's campy. It's uh, just the whole thing is just done super artfully. It's a masterful Darren Morgan episode. Always recommend those. You know, he did uh, two episodes of Millennium as well. One where um, they brought back uh, Jose Chung, who is a, a very eccentric, flamboyant author. And uh, 
I'm not trying to get too deep into uh, X Files lore here. Right. I'm actually somebody who really doesn't like uh, those the main plot of the X Files at all. Like you know, again, like the space goo alien Dana Scully is like you know immortal kind of shit. Like that's kind of boring to me. I like the monster of the week stuff because really what I grew up on was more like Twilight Zone. You know what I mean? I'd rather anthology anthology horror or anthology speculative like fiction much more than like you know star trek you know discovery where every single episode blends into each other and you have to watch fucking 500 episodes to get a clue what's going on i'd rather just be like okay there's some subspace anomaly out there or hey we got transported to the victorian era or you know what i mean like yeah those are a lot more fun you can do a lot more stuff with it so um so, but highly recommend it. Mm. Lost Art of Forehead Sweat. And uh, there's just some other really good stuff in there about living in a tr- uh, post-truth society and how everybody's opinions and stuff. Once you start putting doubt into people's minds, uh, you know, there's no consensus reality anymore. And that's uh, the other part of the Mandela effect thing. But yeah, really recommend that one. So yeah, um, if you want to bring it back to the Twilight Zone, we were talking a few days ago about the Twilight Zone movie, mm-hmm. and you had some really interesting stuff to say. I, I can't remember the the complete extent of it, but what, what what were you talking about? Well, I remember I was telling you about the Dalai Lama dream that I had, and I was the reason I had brought it up was we were talking about Avalokiteshvara, and you pronounce it a different way, um, but the Avelo, uh, yeah, I, I pronounce it Avelo. Kaishvara or whatever, but I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. But yeah, that's supposed to be the uh, 1,000-eyed avatar of the Buddha. Right. right. And when I saw the representation of the Avalokiteshvara in the dream that I had, it was this exposure kind of of, you know, in a way, my break, my my whole breakdown was this is what man's, you know. Uh, corruptivity within their spirit has manifested this being Avalokiteshvara to be in in reality. If you take the matrix away from it, it's not this like golden goddess with a thousand hands guarding a thousand portals to hell. It's this gigantic ant eater (laughs) that has a gigantic snout (laughs) with these long ass weird legs that just look like it kind of reminded me of uh there was a punk rock band called the Crumb Suckers back in the day. And they had this guy who would just always be on his hands and hands and feet. And he was walking like a weird spider and he'd always just be sucking shit off the ground. And he was called yeah, the, the so, Crumb Sucker. So that kind of reminded me um, when we were talking previously of uh, another kind of anthology horror show that I really liked called... Uh, Tales from the Dark Side. Oh, wait. Well, well, sure. well, hold on. I wanted to tell you that the reason about that Twilight Zone movie, because, um, but not that I don't want to talk about Tales from the Dark Side, but I just wanted to finish what I was saying, that that thing looked like whatever that anteater thing I saw was, that's what it looked like one of the characters that Anthony, which I couldn't remember his name, and you were talking about Billy Moomy from the original who, play, who, who played him in a, it's a, it's a good life. It's a good life. And it's the, it's a good life remake that Spielberg and, uh, what's his fuck made, um, in 80, 
82 or 83. Uh, and it's totally different, man. You know, like I was saying, the Billy Mummy one's fucking way more scary. Here's a, a sample of Anthony from both the Twilight Zone with Bill, Billy Mummy and uh, the new one with the Spielberg fucking kid. Here, I'm just going to play the contrast because I figured why not rudely interrupt this interview and fucking play this shit. All right, hold on. This particular monster can read minds, you see. This is the monster. His name is Anthony Fremont. He's six years old with a cute little boy face and blue guileless eyes. <laughs> but when those eyes look at you, you'd better start thinking happy thoughts. Howdy, Anthony. Mighty good to see you today. What are you doing, Anthony? I made a gopher with three heads. I ain't never seen a gopher with three heads before. I'll make him dead now. I'm tired of playing with him. He's dead. Gopher, you be dead. That's that's real fine, Anthony. <laughs> You're a good boy, Anthony. We all love you. Howdy, Miss Fremont. Howdy, Bill. Anthony just loves tomato soup, don't he? So I brought that. Pretty evil. You'll tell him, won't you, Miss Fremont? Tell him I brought the tomato soup because I heard he liked it. You don't have to be frightened of him, Bill. He likes you. Well, that's real nice to hear, Miss Fremont. <laughs> He's a real clever boy. The episode's especially disturbing because this little kid is keeping random strangers totally hostage in this house. They use the same uh, storyline in both the old TV series and the movie. I'm going to play the contrast in the two. This one, you know... <laughs> the people are scared to death. <laughs> this guy loses his mind on his fucking birthday. <clears throat> and this is him fucking lashing out at the fucking kid, you know. You and her. You had him. Monster, you. You dirty little monster. <laughs> you think about me. And maybe some man in this room... Somebody who's so sick to death of living in this kind of place and willing to take a chance sneak up behind you and lay something heavy across your skull. Wow. And end this once and for all. You're a bad man. Oh shit. You're a very bad man. Oh shit, Billy Mooney. Somebody end this now. What is thinking about me? <laughs> oh. You're a bad man. Oh. You're Oh shit. Wish it into the cornfield. <laughs> Wish it into the cornfield. <laughs> All right. He was a bad man, so I turned him into a jack in the box. Oh shit. And you mustn't think bad thoughts about me either. I'll do the same thing to you. Okay, and here's the Steven Spielberg one, you know, 25 years later or whatever. This time, there's a woman in the house that can relate to him, you know? But, you know, he's just making all this fucking crazy shit happen. 
making his TV crack in half on the movie when I was watching this shit when I was a kid. Seeing these fucking crazy ass cartoon motherfuckers come out of there, you know, was worth its weight in gold. I mean, I'd never seen anything like it. Pretty rad. Yeah. Oh shit. And the kid's just smiling there. Looks like the Tasmanian devil, but by the time the motherfucker ends up, spoiler alert, it's some other different totally fucking weirdo creature. Reeks of Ed Roth. Alright. Finally, at the end of this little segment, you know, the woman starts getting through to him. <laughs> but the creatures in that thing, you know. I think the Billy Moomy one is more scarier, but the creatures in the uh, Spielberg one are worth its weight in fucking gold, you know. Just totally awesome. Disturbing. Nice big teeth, slimy, weirdo eyes. <laughs> Here's the chick. Wish it away. Wish it away, Anthony. <laughs> and he's not as bratty as the Billy Moomy version, so, you know, it works. What can I tell you? <laughs> he ends up repenting, you know. special citizens, little Anthony Fremont, age six, who lives in a village called Peaksville in a place that used to be Ohio. And if by some strange chance you should run across him, you would best think only good thoughts. Anything less than that is handled at your own risk. Because if you do meet Anthony, you can be sure of one thing. You have entered the Twilight Zone. Ooh. All right, let's get back to it. Yeah, I mean, even with the kind of hokey-looking uh, jack-in-the-box or whatever, yeah. uh, you know, I, I remember the uh, the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror episode, right, where Homer turns into the uh, jack-in-the-box. Uh -huh. I would say that for some 1958 or 1962 or whatever the heck that was made, uh, that was one of the scariest freaking special effects I've ever seen. Oh, you man, know? I'm telling you, dude, like, just the shadow of it. Uh, and the look on the people's faces when they're seeing it, you know, you're, you can only get a, like a, you can only get a kind of a, a, a look at from the neck up of the guy on the spring coming out of the jack in the box on the black and white one. And you see his head just kind of bouncing there. Yeah. But you can't see the, the severedness of it, you know, or how it's put onto the spring. Well, so it's probably not even severed. He's just turned into a monster, you know, like those Roy Harryhausen uh, dinosaurs that he keeps watching on the on the TV show in the, the episode. I miss Ray Harryhausen, dude. <sighs> and you reminded me that there was the uh, the cartoon is what was in the the movie version of it. Uh huh. He was able to manifest cartoons into reality. That's it. Which and was. <laughs> The designer on that, by the way, I can't remember what her name is. I'm going to put her name on the details if I can remember. But, um, yeah, she, uh, I put her on cartoon as she should fucking know. And then I can't remember <laughs> what her name is. Sorry about that out there, guys. But, uh, 
Her name is Sally Cruikshank, actually, and she was the animation director on the uh, Twilight Zone. It's a Good Life remake, and it's Nancy Cartwright, who's the actress, speaking of Treehouse of Horror. Guess she never got out of Cartoon Land. Hmm. Now, for the last 32 years, Ethel's been playing the voice of Bart Simpson, so she definitely never got out of Cartoon Land. The name of the page you can go look at is a uh, cartoonist you should fucking know. I kind of abandoned it on Facebook, but uh, there's a lot of archived cartoonists there. Sally Cruikshank is definitely one of them, man. She is definitely a cartoonist you should fucking know. <laughs> awesome. That's some of the best shit in the fucking world. It inspired my art when I was a kid. She did. Oh, yeah. Totally oh, yeah. Sense. No, she, that little segment right there. I remember I was like, I want to draw these fucked up ass looking things like this, man. And I, I knew I was so intimidated because I wasn't even close to coming anywhere near that. And, you know, it did take some decades to accomplish to get there. But, man. Yeah, but there's definitely uh, a dark, lethargic vibe to those things. You know what I mean? It's not just like, you know, Sunshine, Mandela, um, fucking... Uh, mandala. Sorry, see, there was a Mandela effect right there. Mandela, uh, yeah. Ma mandala, um, you know, acid imagery, you know, low trippy. It's more like this is like the jittery come up and, you know, kind of like the fractured, dripping, um, you know, slobbering, kind of uh, fang toothed version of LSD. You know what I mean? When everything starts uh, leering at you. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, um, so yeah, and then we talked about that. Um, I think I had a Mandela effect where I thought Chevy Chase was the kind of Yeti creature in that one, um, in the in the movie. But um, yeah, you, you started this whole thing of associations with me that reminded me of like the scariest thing that I remember as a kid that like traumatized me actually for the TV show was that uh, Tales from the, uh, sorry, Tales from the Dark Side episode. Yeah, yeah, there we go. That's it. The, the Cuddy Black Sow. Uh-huh. I think it might even take place on Christmas Eve. It takes place on like the eve of some some uh, major holiday. It might be Halloween. I'm pretty sure it's Christmas Eve. And these kids, uh, Irish grandma, talks about putting these stones into a fireplace, blah, 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 blah. And she dies. Uh, and then the kid has to watch him and his sister while his parents go to a holiday party. So it probably is actually Christmas. So he keeps seeing these like yellow bright eyes in the darkness throughout the whole episode he's like freaking is freaking out because one of the stones which is meant to be symbolic of like each person in the family falls out of the fireplace and he's worried that some, something bad's going to happen to somebody right because if your stones are in the fireplace everybody's protected but if one falls out they may be taken away by the cutty black sow Ooh. right so yeah i didn't remember this until i found it maybe six or seven years ago first watched it 32 years ago or something <laughs> it was a long time ago it's a while but um but there's just this part and again this is a spoiler alert but i highly recommend everybody watch it is that the, the kids parents come home 
and he sees the kind of anteater pig face monster Ooh, the anteater come again. towards him yeah exactly and then uh he's all freaked out and then it turns out it's his dad and his dad's like oh we're home you know blah 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 and he's like give me a hug and then the kid gives his dad a hug and then the last shot you see is the anteater face coming towards him again when he notices that there's like some blood from uh, hugging him on him. Oh, wow. So, yeah, and that's just uh, it's probably super Freudian, you know, something about like, you know, oh, you think your dad's good, but he's actually bad and, you know, whatever, you feel safe, you don't feel safe, that kind of thing. But uh, it's a great, great episode, uh, Tales from the Dark Side, Cuddy Black Sow. You could probably find uh, some sort of uh, pirated version of it on YouTube. I'm not... Um, now with the new legislation, I'm not going to say allegedly. Allegedly, you can find it on uh, YouTube. Okay. So, yeah. So I highly recommend the viewers check that out or the listeners, as it were. Yeah. And yeah. Here's a crappy sample of Cuddy Black Sal from Tales from the Dark Side. turns into a fucking weirdo pigo thingo. Oh god. The worst sample in the world. <laughs> missing from that like i started watching some of the jordan peele episodes and they were just pretty bad you know i like jordan peele pretty good a lot yeah. of stuff he does but they're just not really quite the same um and i think they did a, a third rehash of terror at twenty thousand feet which originally starred william shatner was right. some of the best best episodes like the one where he uh gets obsessed the name of the episode's I'm losing it right now. Something devil, right? Where he keeps putting in a quarter into this fortune telling machine. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he just, he kind of completely loses his mind with this idea of trying to predict the future. And that's one thing that I'm seeing a lot this year. You know, it's um, there's the Jupiter uh, Saturn conjunction that just happened a few days ago. Mm -hmm. And I was reading a a book. The black lodge is open now. Yeah, maybe. I'm actually going to go the opposite. Uh, But yeah, I mean, yeah, there's definitely, somebody just told me about the Saturn is in one of the rooms of the Black Lodge. But um, there's this, there's this concept of within every 20 year Saturn, uh, Saturn Jupiter cycle, because it happens every 20 years, um, people get much more apocalyptic. There's like a and, you know, usually they're not in the middle of a fucking pandemic on top of it. So it really feels apocalyptic. But oh, you know, you ain't kidding. I had a lot of those tendencies earlier this year, but it was really reassuring to see that. And also be a reminder that in 2000, 
everybody thought the world was going to end with, you know, Y2K, you know, the, all of the nuclear codes were going to trigger because of the Y2K bug. And I guess in 1980, people were really worried about kind of some Red Dawn. I don't think Red Dawn was out in 1980, but they were worried about some scenario very similar to that, you know, like the Soviets come, you know, break into it. And uh, you can see that pretty much like clockwork throughout human history, there's, uh, there's that same apocalyptic tendency that happens uh, on, on those cycles. So it's yeah. uh, just another one of those weird things that's like, is it correlation or causation? <laughs> but it's one of those things that definitely creates this uh, speculation in people's mind that makes everything seem a little bit more magical and weird. And you start looking for the signs and maybe things actually have always been there, but you start noticing them and they start leering at you. I guess, uh, yeah. Well, one of the things I already automatically questioned in my head after listening to you talk for a minute um, is I wonder when George Clayton Johnson came up with the idea for Twilight Zone and if it was like on a conjunction on one of those 20-year points. Um, because uh, to me... The Twilight Zone has one common fabric, and in uh, there's one common fabric that's laid out in every episode, and that's there's a crack in time, and that some or in space, it, yeah, exactly. right, in this one kind of continuum, a space-time continuum where there's a crack, and that somehow this kind of parallel Earth thing can come in something totally magical, something totally mystical, mythical. It can be anything. It can be uh, sci-fi. It could be just the most loving thing in the world, which you've seen those episodes of Twilight Zone. You're just like, that made me feel so great. It's a rare thing, but they, they exist. And then there's also these episodes, for the most part, which are just terrifying. And most of it has to do with the contingency that it's left up to the weirdness, you know, uh, where, you know, this event will transpire, whatever that is. Uh, in the case of Burgess Meredith, who all he wanted to do was read books and his wife was nagging him. And, and then one day, you know, he's down in the basement and the fucking whole world gets nuked and he goes to the library to go read <laughs> and his glasses are broken. The name of the Twilight Zone episode with Burgess Meredith is called time enough now there was time enough at last or something like that the fuck is it called i'm sure i'll be forgiven for this <laughs> yeah i hope i'll be forgiven yeah i mean that's, you know it's that's like actually that's another that's another thing i've been thinking about a lot too because you know at the beginning of the trump administration there was all these people who were practicing witchcraft who you know i'm not somebody who condemns anything like that but you better know what the fuck you wish for yeah right? so there was all these people who are doing the binding of Trump and I'm no Trump fan. Right. Um, but I would say that it's, it's really interesting that they said, may he fail in everything he do. Right. Yeah. And it sure as fuck feels like he's failed all of us in the wrong ways. So it's like a matter of being careful what you wish for, because, you know, it's like this year has felt like time enough at last. You know, we all have time enough at last, like that episode says, but it's like, we can't do shit. You know, he's got all the time in the world to read his books, but his, uh, he can't see. Anymore. 
You know what I mean? Or another classic episode is the guy with the stopwatch uh, who has just the shit luck, but he really isn't the brightest guy in the world. And uh, he keeps, you know, making time stop with the, t- the stopwatch. And he's like, oh, I can make time stop. And then finally he clicks it too hard and he breaks it. And the time, you know, time is frozen forever. To a health friend down the hatch. The name of the episode is called A Kind of now, Stopwatch, you your by the way. I something for you. It's a gift, a small remembrance of our friendship. What is it? It's a stopwatch. And it just goes downhill from there. And the guy fucks time up because he's a fucking dildo. All right, back to the show. push the button, I stop the watch, and I stop the world. Well, that, that reminds me of one of the better um, 1980s Twilight Zone episodes. And the 1980s Twilight Zone, for the most part, is shit, right? Like right. The, the remake, the colorized... The Forrest Whitaker. <laughs> yeah, there was this really great episode, though, where there was uh, this guy wakes up in between like his, his uh, like kind of analog style uh, alarm clock going off right so you know where the, the ones that used to have the flip before the digital lcd ones right where it would you know, flip a number over yeah it stopped on the flip right so he wakes up and he sees these people that are wearing like um stealth suits is that what they call them these days you know like the kind of suit where it's like a full body suit where you don't have any features you just look like a human form yeah and every single moment is constructed so you can fall into this space in between time, but there's like a construction crew that builds every single possible moment. And then you like just live in a moment and then everything has to be torn down and built up again. It's a really trippy episode. I have no idea what it's called off the top of my head. I can, I'll look it up and maybe we can we'll have to check that out. Too. It's a really good one. Yes. Basically he gets stuck in between you know, five five fifty four in the morning and five fifty five in the morning, right when he's going to wake up, and you know, the garbage trucks out outside, and you know, people are just there's this construction crew. He he notices something weird because it's like they're demolishing everything because they have to tear everything down, and then they have to rebuild everything, and then you get to live in one second, and then they do that over and over and over and over again. And it's just like, it's like, is that what God has to do every minute? Or is that what the angels are doing? You know what I mean? Like, The name of the episode from the new Twilight Zone is called A Matter of Minutes. And here's a little sample from that. I thought it was pretty cool, you know. I had to go look it up while we were doing this interview. A couple cotton time. Pretty rad. I guess they skip moments, you know. Almost eleven thirty-seven. Come on. <laughs> How do 
you know it's safe? Well, we haven't seen or heard anybody in over a half an hour. Now, I figure they can't risk being caught here when actual time does arrive, so they just have to leave us and hope for the best. What's going to happen when actual time does arrive? Well, we'll know that in 45 seconds. What if 11.37 comes and goes and everybody else goes with it and we stay here? I don't know. I'm just here. This is my first time. Mr. Wright. Mrs. Wright. Oh, you must come with me. Now. No. Actual time is almost here. 20 seconds. No. Go. You've got to go. Now. <laughs> Pretty weird. And then he ended up back in time. All right, back to the ship. Well, <laughs> if that's the case, it's like that's a that's a whole lot of work. Construction company, you know what I mean? There's a whole lot of worms you just laid out on the table. I mean, <laughs> we can go a lot of different directions, but uh, you know, the la just going backwards. I mean, with the angels part, there are. According to, there's two fleets of angels on every person. And in, in a fleet is 10,000 angels. So that's 20,000 angels per person. It kind of makes you wonder when, you know, back in, in, the, in the time of, uh, of Enoch, when these uh, angels that had been kicked out of heaven go to confront him to get back into heaven and they confront Enoch because they're kind of, Enoch's the creation of them of their fucking whatever shenanigans you know uh mm -hmm. it makes you wonder how many angels were there then as opposed to now and how much more the creator has created inside that time as opposed to at that point you know, because it just seems like way more creation, even in our own personal life with all the crazy shit we're dealing with. And, uh, you know, it turns into a real Twilight Zone episode. And I think that's the, the safety of being able to watch the Twilight Zone and knowing like, wow, I'm glad that's on TV <laughs> or Tales from the Dark Side or any of this shit. And then coming back and, and seeing uh, life for real the way that it's been now. That's hard on the, com you know, the, compl the complexity of, of the human psyche. Because, you know, well, I mean, I think we're fragile. Yeah, but I think it all... Well, yeah, it's like the, that Lovecraft quote, right? What is it? He says that... Uh, I think that the most gracious thing is that the mind cannot correlate all its contents. Mm. Let me, let me find that real quick. Uh, yeah, just continue with what you're saying. Cause it'll just take me one second. Um, I think that's it though. You know, it's just like, I miss the safety of the innocence of just being able to watch the twilight zone and kind of knowing that 
not even knowing what a matrix was at that time, you know, or not even knowing what uh, space time uh, travel and things like that. And things older guys like Rod Serling and uh, George Clayton Johnson, who were developing the show, um, and Ray Bradbury and all these other guys who were doing... Because uh, didn't Bradbury do the Tales from the Dark Side? Um, I don't know. He might have written a couple episodes. I know that there was a, a big scene in L.A. at that time where they, there was a whole bunch of different sci-fi writers. I know that Charles Beaumont was friends with Ray Bradbury, mm-hmm. and um, so was uh, uh, Richard Matheson. They all kind of hung around the same circles. But I, I found that quote, and I think this is a really good quote. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Let's hear like, it. And it also kind of deals with the insanity of like going down the conspiracy rabbit holes and all that stuff, too, is that like, you know, I think it's good to have a deeper understanding of what's going on in the world there's a certain point where we need to learn to cut the cord. So I think this Lovecraft quote's great. The most merciful thing in the world, I think, is the inability of the human mind to correlate all its contents. We live on a placid island of ignorance in the midst of black seas of infinity, and it was not meant that we should voyage far. Hmm. Leads up into a lot of what what if questions, I guess, huh? Well, yeah, and it's just like the whole idea of cosmic terror, you know, like a lot of times the scariest things are the unnameable, the uncertain. You know, it's like when you have a date with somebody that you like, your first date, you're like, what's going to happen? You know, you, you get so tripped up on that. You know, it's like in that episode of The Simpsons where he's like, you know, it's uh, the anticipation. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it really is that kind of thing. Cause you know, we're basically just monkeys with anxiety. Uh, like, I know I am. Just, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> a, that's a, I think that's the ultimate criteria of humanity. And I think that's kind of like what the fall is, right? It's like we, I mean, on a symbolic level, we can talk about the ancient aliens and all that stuff as well, but just in a purely symbolic level, the idea of the fall is kind of like, you know, we were just like uncorrupted ass animals. And then we started uh, looking around at the world and seeing things because, you know, ignorance is bliss. And we don't want to be so blissful that we're just blindly led to the slaughter, but we don't want to be so aware that we're paralyzed with fear and fall over like a rabbit in the field, you know, of the kind of paralysis from getting scared. So it's like it's a very delicate balance, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like keeping keeping your attention and being um, being alive because now I'm gonna sound like a little bit of poop here, but it's like the predators of the world, whether they're you believe it's uh, you know, ancient aliens or you believe it's demonic presences or if you just believe it's the global elite, the rich or whatever, it's a predator class, right? These are sharks. They don't stop moving. They don't have time to think about stuff. They're always working on their plans, right? Yeah. So there's the thing is we don't want to get corralled into stock stock houses or whatever. But at the same time, if we're running around like mindlessly, then we're going to just end up tiring ourselves out. So it's just really important to you know just keep a keep a cool head. I think that that's one thing that you do see 
a lot of the Twilight Zone episodes. Like, what's, oh God, what is the one, the guy who is so worried about dying in his sleep? Huh. Right? Perchance to dream. Perchance to dream. Yeah, so, you know, the guy goes into the therapist's office, and he's so afraid since things that he thinks of in his dreams appear to happen, or if he's going to die in his dream, then he knows he's going to die. So he's all buoyed up on amphetamines and whatever. And then the end of the episode, you find out he just died from basically an amphetamine overdose. You know, he just tired himself out and his heart stopped because he was so wound up by trying to not die that he killed himself. And is that it? Perchance to dream. If I go to sleep, I go right back to the roller coaster. And the guy's having fucking nightmares. Where are you going? So long, Doc. You can't do anything more for me. And he goes to fucking leave. And then uh, he realizes the secretary is the fucking chick he's having a nightmare about. This scares the shit out of him. Oh, fuck. What's the matter, Hall? And it's enough for him to fucking kill himself. But he's dreaming when he kills himself. When he came in, I told him to sit down, and he did. Less than two seconds, he was asleep. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess there are worse ways to go. Mm-hmm. At least he died peacefully. And here's the Rod Serling wrap-up. a second or so. And yet in that second, a man can live a lifetime. He can suffer and die, and who's to say which is the greater reality? The one we know, or the one in dreams? Between heaven, the sky, the earth, in the twilight zone. So it's kind of, it's like, life to me is really like trying to figure out a way of threading that needle. You know what I mean? Because we, we often see, do, do you remember that episode, the, the, the Other Place? I don't know about that one. So it's the one with the gangster, and he thinks he dies. But then he just finds himself in like a, a hotel, right? And he and in the hotel he can go down to the casino and gamble, and he always wins. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he gets everything that he wants, and then he realizes at the end that there's this angel there that's like talking to him, and he's like, you know, um, like, what does he say? Like. You know, I never thought it would be like this. You know, like, it's just too easy. You know, like, uh, you know, I, I feel like, you know, I'm in, it's like heaven shouldn't be like this. And he's like, you're in the other place. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just like, struggle is a part of life. We don't want to live our entire lives with struggle, right? Yeah. Of us do, but like, we, and which is like, Actually, the problem is that we have too much struggle in our lives, but there has to be a little bit of uh, tension. It's just, again, it's don't be a sheep. Don't be a scared rabbit. It's really because either way, you're just ripe for the picking. Here's here's one for you that's relevant, man, that I remember from the Twilight Zone. Uh, and it's one that kind of scared scared me, too. But it was called uh, The After Hours. I don't remember that one. It was a woman that goes into this department store and 
you know, she's like going through every floor yeah, and then and then she ends up, you know, she spoiler alert, um she she ends up uh going to the top floor of this building and ends up oh, well, she's a mannequin and you know, once a week, a different mannequin gets to go out into reality and live the life of a human being and comes back and has to be the mannequin again. And that's what she was doing. Yeah. She was coming back and she was like, I don't want to come back. <laughs> Nobody wants to come back. But it does kind of give you this kind of reflexive uh, notation that, you know, we take a lot of shit for granted and uh, we bitch about fucking everything, dude. Yep. And, uh, yeah, and, and, you know, it's just, imagine it's, being in that position where you only had a week, you know, to, to, to really be human. Um, well, that's what this, that's what this should have showed everybody. You know, I really think that that's the, like, that was the opportunity with this whole COVID thing is like, and I, and I'm a little sad to see, maybe I was too idealistic that people would be like. I love everybody in my life so much. I'm so thankful that they're there. Blah, 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 blah. No, we're just doing the same shit, you know, talking about whether COVID's real or not, you know, whether it's my right to do this or not. You know, I can respect a diversity of opinions about this thing, which is something I feel like is really fucking difficult, right? I mean, I believe COVID's real. I believe it's a huge problem. I wear a mask, but like... Yeah, me too. But I don't, I don't shit on people, even though I do think it's selfish, right? I can understand people get different information. I don't even want to say misinformation. I feel like it's misinformation, but I don't want to be judgmental. Yeah, because there's so much seeing, out there. Yeah, seeing how much we're tearing each other apart, though, it's like you call anybody without a mask a Trump supporter, or if you're wearing a mask, you're a libtard. And it's just like, we're going to have to see each other again when we get out of the shit, you know? And... We, we had this 9, 10, 12, 16, whatever. I mean, that's where it does get tiresome, right? We've had this long opportunity to be like, what's it going to be like when we're back out? Are we, have, have we learned anything from this pause? You know? And it's like, no, people are still fucking worse. People are worse off and people are more fucking mad than ever. And it's just like, I can't even, I can't even like say how, much like when I would say my prayers or my gratitudes or whatever in the day, I'd be like, oh my God, how much did I just like take for granted that I could just walk to the store without having to put on a mask, you know, wash my hands. I mean, I wash my hands all the time, but you know what I mean? Like I didn't have to be neurotic about it. Right. right? And, and, or you can go to the bar and have a drink and have a conversation with a random person, you know, like it's, it's so much more difficult to do those things these days. And it's um, it's going to be great when that can happen. You know, like, I'm going to be so thankful for it. But I'm alone on fucking Christmas Eve. That sucks. Yep. You know? So it's like, and I feel for anybody out there who's in that position, whether, you know, whatever your take is on anything, you know, like, as a human being, we need to have more compassion for each other because that's really the thing at the end of the day. It's not a matter of figuring it out. It's like... The monsters come home on Maple Street. You remember that one? Yeah. Right? It's, I might have the name wrong, but it's just like, you know, all the power goes out. Uh huh. And everybody starts losing their shit. And then they start saying, oh, you're a communist. Oh, you're the. Carl Perkins is on there. Sheriff Lobo. 
Oh yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> you you're the you're the one that did it. Everybody loses. Their uh huh. They're blaming and each other. And then the aliens <laughs> at the end. Yep. The outskirts of town are just like, you know, we just leave them to their own devices. This you is know? what happens but, in every town. Yeah, and we have an opportunity to change that. Yep, and that's what they're giving us. Just, you know. Well, that's that's the thing about the Twilight Zone is like, I don't look at it as like a fatalistic. You know, or sci-fi or any of these things, like dystopian stuff. It's like, I don't look at it fatalistically. I look at it as like a fable, even a scary one. Doesn't mean, oh, that's just human nature. It's like, no, it's like what you should look out for. If you get a bad tarot reading, or if you have a bad chart in astrology, you're supposed to, instead of just curl up in a ball and be like, oh no, something bad's gonna happen. You're like, well, how am I gonna be attentive and what can I do in my own life to try to make things? Uh, yeah, the cards aren't stone; they're cards. Fate is a trend. Fate is not set in stone. Exactly. Like we have, we have free will, and there is also fate on top of it. Right? It's like you. There's plenty of different um, off ramps on the highway. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's just. Uh, that was kind of what the Twilight Zone was teaching us. I, well, I don't know. I think people take a lot of these things. And these old, a lot of all these shows are really were, man, in a lot of ways. Well, I mean, so this can bring us to, like, probably, this is a complete deviation, but it's another good old television uh, reference. Is like Norman Lear shows, like All in the Family, Ooh. Uh, Sanford and Son and stuff. Yeah. You know, you get these bigoted, Carl terrible Ryan. people, mm-hmm. right? Well, Carl Reiner wasn't bigoted. He was just meathead. But, you know, you get... Uh, <laughs> no, well, I mean, uh, what was his dad's name, I mean? Uh, that was uh, Carol O'Connor. No, not Carol O'Connor. No, uh, no, in real life. The guy who actually produced All in the Family. Uh, Nor- Norman Lear. Who was... <sighs> Norman Lear was the guy who produced Maud, All in the Family, Good Times, um, Sanford and Son... Did he do Sanford and Son? Yeah, same producer, Norman Lear. Um, that's cool as fuck, man. Actually, he's still alive. He's like ninety something years old. But uh, but what I was going to say is, these show a situation of like what our reality is. Yeah, yeah. Right, and you're like, oh, Fred is such a bigoted old man, and it's funny, but it's like not politically correct. You don't have to be politically correct, but you can be like, well, what is this? What does this hatefulness serve him? Right, like. How does Archie Bunker's hatefulness serve him? It really doesn't. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean you need to be like Meathead and be like, well, Dad, you know, like, you've you got to be a lot. You know, it's, there's a way to teach people and let them show their own asses, basically. Mm. You know, that like, we are, as a species, we don't necessarily read into parables as, deeply as we should and i think that's it brings us back to kind of a spiritual thing it's like whether you're reading the bible in the flesh or reading the body uh the bible in the spirit you know you can look at a parable and be like this is a teaching moment as opposed to like this is what humanity is and i think that's uh we have so much more potential you know as a species because again we're just monkeys with anxiety you know (sighs) this is the truth man um, <laughs> I thought it's cool that he brought up all in the family, you know, and in a way, but also, you know, another left fielder, 
all in the family. That was like uh, part of this nightmare I had when I was like, uh, I thought it was like 1998. And I had just read Watchmen. Um, okay. Again, after, I don't know, almost 20 years uh, since high school or whatever. I don't know how fucking long I've been. But um, it had been a while. 10 years. Probably like 14, 15 years. Yeah. Yeah, 10. Because uh, it wasn't in the 70s that watched it. <laughs> right. 84. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. Yeah. And uh, I hadn't read in a minute. And I read as an adult and went back after, you know, reading it with high school eyes. And um, I remember this thing's affecting me way deeply. But I remember uh, I had this nightmare one night. And it was... <laughs> Uh, this doesn't really have any shit to do with anything, but I just wanted to say it anyway. Um, I just had this nightmare, and it was Edith and Archie. And they were sitting in their living room, and the lights were off. And it was just kind of the outside lights were coming in on them or whatever. Yeah. Archie looks like he's dead. He doesn't move the whole time. And it kind of is... It's weird. And then, uh, Arch, and then Edith goes... Oh, no. And right in the middle of the no, you hear this, like this car wreck outside their house, and it's just super violent, like, and it just closes in on Edith's eyes, and I woke up, and it was it was super terrifying. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know either, but yeah, uh, those shows were great. I also... I can't, leave <laughs> can't leave out the Jeffersons. I'm sure there probably was an episode of uh, all in the family where there's a car crash outside. I Maybe there was, you know, I, I'm pretty sure there was actually. And, uh, but yeah, there is kind of like that eerie, like, that image that you're saying of like, just the patriarch of the family, just sitting in the armchair. And it's like, is he really alive or is he dead anyway? You know, it's like the whole, what's it called? Um, the Bundy's, what was that show called? Oh, or uh, married with children, married with children. You know what I mean? It's like, it is a uh, it's a form of small death to just kind of just live your life just for bowling and uh, talking about your hot wife as if she's uh, uh, bad for wanting to have sex with you. You know, <laughs> I mean, uh -huh. like, uh, it's uh, it's 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 a very it's a uh, if you look at it from that kind of surrealist lens, it's uh, it shows how weird modern life is. And we have an opportunity to live our lives the way we want to outside of that kind of weirdness. And that's kind of, I think, the whole point of what I was saying about, you know, learning from All in the Family or from, you know, Sanford and Son or whatever. Because, you know, Red Fox was a stand-up fucking dude. I mean, he launched Pat Morita's career, you know, but he was calling him Ching Chong or whatever, you know, on those episodes. Like, you know, but he was... The and then the Puerto Rican neighbor. neighbor, too. Yeah, I mean... And he's like, hey, buenos, nacho, buenos noches, uh, Senior Sanford. And he goes, and beans and disease to you, too. Exactly. That's That was the whole... That, that's America still, right? Yeah, or like when, you know... He says, <laughs> Nothing's it means, changed. It means, it means blood or something, and then he's like, you know... Oh, give me some more of that. Uh, give me some more of that Mexican ripple, or whatever he calls it, uh, in that episode. That was, that was a great one, but... You know, I Sam Pipple? Where, uh, where he, uh, <coughs> Red Fox, when Pat Morita was just launching his career, I think he was just doing stand-up at that point. 
um, he did a bit about how poor he was. Red Fox was in the audience. He was like, here's my card. And he had Pat Morita come over to his house, wrote him a check for $5,000 back in the 70s. So that's, you know, you, you guys do the calculations. Right? <laughs> and, uh, and then he's like, you know, what do you want me to pay you back? Red Fox said, don't. Just do the same for somebody else when you're in my position. Pay it forward. I mean, Red Fox, the dirty old man, you know, the guy who's strutting around, you know, telling dirty sex jokes on blue records is kinder than a lot of the pricks that are around these days. You know what I mean? That are all PC or whatever. You know, it's you don't have to be uptight to be anti-racist or to be liberal or whatever. You can be a you just at the end of the day. Is, your, is there any heart in it? And, you know, and I think that that's one thing I can say about all the Twilight Zone episodes is that they really try to show you something. Like, they teach you a lesson and they show you what it's like to not have a heart. You know, that it's a, it's a good life, right? Anthony has no heart because he has absolute power. It shows how power corrupts and how people just try to control everybody and got to keep on a smiling face. Oh, everything's good. It's really good that you did that. It's, you know... It's it ain't good, you know what I mean, um, and we really have an opportunity to learn to just basically cool the fuck out, be kind to each other, um, and just take the weirdness as it comes. And you know, it's like you you even met, you mentioned the Watchmen, and I remember there was a there's two Nietzsche quotes in the Watchmen: "Do not battles with monsters, lest you become one," mm-hmm. which is great. But the other one is. The more you stare into the darkness, the more the darkness stares into you. So the abyss. Sometimes, sometimes we just need to turn on the TV and put the light into the box and just turn off our mind and not uh, not stare into the darkness, but stare into the uh, into the images, the world that's outside of us. Hmm. So, I like I that. Think that's, cool. uh, I think that's a good place to end this. Yeah, why not, man? All right. Well, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, um, you know, hopefully um, next year we are in a place where we can be spending it with people we want, or if you are spending it with people you want, um, just take care and be good to each other. Don't get into any fights. If you want to talk about politics, try to ask questions. Don't debate anybody, okay? If you need to stay put, just calm down and enjoy the holidays right? Wherever you're at. I think that's the best thing to remember. You don't got to rush home. So whatever it is, yeah, don't drive drunk. You can get drunk, you know, and yell at grandma or something. St. Christopher, right, protect us. All right, guys. Yeah, ex- uh, yeah exactly. Hang on the phone, John. Uh, uh, Josh, hold on. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> right, hold on. All right, guys, I got C2 on the horn with me. And, you know, since this has been the Twilight Zone Mandela Effect episode, I'm going to go ahead and uh, let you uh, tell me and the crew out here in the world what you discovered, Miss C2. What did you find out there? Oh, um, Elizabeth Loftus died today, and she was one of the major contributors to the study of the Mandela Effect. She was the one who uh, did most of the original research on eyewitness testimony and 
misremembering or accidental falsification of our memories, which led to a lot of the augmented research on the current Mandela effect as it's described. Wow. And was she like, I heard that she was at a convention and it was her and a bunch of associates and they were like, don't you remember Mandela dying before? And that, uh, is that what happened, kind of? Uh, well, she worked with Brader, who wrote The Seven Sins of Memory, which is the seven major ways our mind can produce the Mandela effect. Mm. And so that was actually pretty fascinating. I'm unsure when she was first introduced to it. Um, I just know that she did die today. She is originally Elizabeth Fishman, born in 1944, but she was well-established and was a professional witness in literally thousands of legal cases that questioned eyewitness testimony. Wow. And most of it was actually quite accurate and highly defendable. It wasn't her just tearing people down. She was very fascinated with the mechanics of false memory. In fact, she's the one who commissioned most of the work into researching recovered memory of sexual abuse or satanic rituals, and she found out most of those were false, and there was a very specific amount of questioning and leading questions that led to it. Huh. A good example would be if, I t if you were a witness in the case of a car wreck, and I said, when did you observe the cars contact each other or when did the cars smash into each other? Um, if you had no previous concept of what happened, if when I say, when did they contact each other, you feel like, ah, five, 10 miles an hour. Sounds like they bumped into each other. Mm. Or if they smashed into each other, then you would think there was a much higher rate of speed, even if you had witnessed it. Huh. Um, the Mandela, that's a tiny part of the Mandela effect. And the Mandela effect also does tie into PTSD. Oh. A very, yes, a very interesting part of memory is called persistence. And that is when you say something stupid and then you keep replaying it in your head over the rest of the day and it takes a day or two to fade away, that is persistence of memory. And in some cases, uh, I myself have experienced this with more severe memories. I'll remember something and I'll vocalize something that I'm not thinking that might be a block to that memory. Like if I have a bad memory of something overseas, I might just say, I hate everything or like, fuck this. But I'm not thinking of saying that it's literally that memory pulls that vocalization out even though that's what i'm not wanting to say or even aware i'm going to say it it causes outburst and that is a and ptsd as part of memory is a persistent memory the bummer about that thing is that we have suggestibility which is another one so if you and i were talking about someone in our past and you said yeah, remember that guy with the earring? And he had never worn an earring, but for some reason he remembered that. But you actually had enough information to make me remember who that person was. There is a good chance I will remember that earring and agree with you. Because our minds do not like the unknown. If we're missing information 
and another person has information, subconsciously we feel vulnerable and we want to make up for that deficit subconsciously. We're not trying to do it. And so I'm like, I must have missed that. This is the back of my mind. I don't remember that. If I don't remember that and that person does, I'm lacking information, which could actually be vital for my survival. Hmm. And as inane or as off weird as that sounds, that's how our mind works. So, and then another thing is like this uh, attribution. You see that in police lineups where if they actually say, which man is it before you, but the person never has identified the gender of the assailant, they will then assume that the assailant was a male. Huh. Or if you remember a really cool fact that really resonates with you and you cannot remember the source, but since it's such a cool fact, you remember that a reputable source to you would be like the Washington Post, and that's an example. Um, your mind would might weld that fact that you just heard from a friend into recalling it as a fact from the Washington Post. Not that you seek to deceive, but that information feels so correct or is something you want to convey to somebody, your mind automatically finds an exterior source to make it seem legitimate and much more accepted and real. And it's not malfeasance or being a jerk or an idiot or doing it deliberately. It's a desire to convey that fact so sincerely to a person that you might actually take hearsay and attribute it to a reputable source. Another issue is imagination versus reality. We have a lot of inner monologues, a lot of inner ideation, and a lot of inner um, ideals that we aren't even fully conscious of. And in a situation where you're missing that information, like I could, you could tell me that that guy had an earring and he didn't, and you're not trying to deceive me, but since I know geology and I really like a certain type of rock, I could even imagine that earring having a specific rock to it, which you then wouldn't remember it had what type of rock it was or gem. But then the fact that you remembered the earring that was not there in the first place would allow your memory to then incorporate my misinformation into it. And this is actually called suggestibility stacking. And so... There are weird lineups where certain things like the bear, uh, Bernstein bears versus Berenstein, the no, I am your father versus Luke, I'm your father, right. or everybody calling the main gremlin Spike instead of Stripe in the movie Gremlins. <laughs> the fact they even released a licensed t-shirt with Spike on it instead of Stripe. Huh. Um, you know, all these things. So you got suggestibility stacking. You got persistence of memory. You got misattribution of like faces, facts, your imagination versus reality. And then we have an internal bias. Um, if you're a very cynical and horrifying person and just like, um, you know, down on everything and everything has a filter of being negative, when you see somebody come up to an unconscious person and pull out their wallet, you're immediately going to remember this event as this person mugged this person. 
Whereas another person who thinks the best of people that would be a first responder would see a person checking the wallet for a medical ID card. And so what the person was actually doing, getting the wallet off the unconscious person is unknown. But the medical EMT tech thinks they're checking for medical reasons why they're down. And you look in the wallet for their medical card. A person who is fearful or cynical or just doesn't believe the best is going to say, that guy's just taking a wallet from this puck and person on the ground. So it's the bias of that event can then build to suggestibility stacking and misattribution of the facts and then lead to a persistent memory because it can be traumatic to see those events. And then that event actually starts getting repeated in your head and memories aren't just recalled. Every time you pull a memory up out of your head deliberately or with a forethought and trying to remember, you're actually activating and accessing a very active part of recall when you do that, you're also not in that moment. So the current moment you're in, when you pull that new memory up, you're going to have a lot of stimulus and input that's come to you between that time and this time. Lessons learned, traumas experienced, which will then start going into misattribution, suggestibility, and bias. So every time you remember something, you're actually rebuilding that memory, not just remembering, and then you can start adding to it. And if it's a persistent memory, such as a PTSD recurrent memory, the trauma can actually be built each time you remember it if one is not careful and cogent of what is going on. So long story short, the Mandela effect in the easily observable now can easily be explained by these memory systems faults and just different programming that we have in ourselves and how we do things on a larger quantum scale is timeline slip are there certain events it's unusual that some events are highly vulnerable to a mandela effect of thinking and other events have no persistence in mandela thinking One I've observed in myself that no one else has observed is you remember the old vertical Exxon sign, just the letters E-X-X-O-N when we were kids? Yeah. Well, the two X's, one, the top is actually a little shorter than the bottom, you know, like if you're doing an X, so the bottom's a little wider than the top two arms. Right. Well, I always remembered those actually being the same way. But now when I look at the old collection of Exxon signs, the top one is upside down and the bottom one is right side up. And I've gone back and looked at vintage stuff. I've seen stuff in vintage person and the X's now are flipped on the top axis flipped compared to the bottom one. So the one you remember is like from the left or from the right? Oh, it's just, it's a vertical E-X-X-O-N going up and down. Yeah. All right, so if you put the X together and then you slide it down so the upper two arms of the X will be shorter than the bottom two arms of the X? Yeah. Well, I remember both of them being that way, but now when I look back, the top one, the top of the X is wider than the bottom of the X, and it's very minute, Mm. but I noticed that as a child. And I've gone back and looked at all this different stuff, 
and all the Exxon signs are like they are now. And that is such a minor thing that my autism and OCD kind of aspect as a child latched right. on. Right, as an example. Yeah. Right. And that is one I've never heard anyone else actually repeat. So, Have you gone and researched that? Did you look on YouTube for that? Oh, yeah. I, oh, no, I looked all over for it. No one else has observed that to my knowledge. Huh. But I'm just pointing that out as a personal Mandela experience for me because when we talked a while back, you asked me about the uh, Empire Strikes Back, and I and you said this, and I said, "Yeah." He said, "No, I'm your father because I." And then my friend Fernando flipped out when he saw it on the beta copy, and he was like, "No!" <laughs> right, but I have that. Like I said, I have the photographic memory, an autistic mind, so I had less of a manufacturing event in that. But then, um. You know, there's a lot of interesting things that happen in this world. And is my memory just an artifact holdover from an event? Or did the event really happen? Are these quantum events actually happening? And there's enough arguable theories, evidence, and really fun things to talk about that could actually make the Mandela effect really viable. But in this case i'm just pointing out how our minds work in an understanding way so that we can look at these suggestibility stacking misattribution bias persistence you know we can look at those factors and if you can eliminate all those factors on a global scale which i don't know how to do <laughs> and then actually look at the event that would be an interesting concept to then see if the mandela effects that were occurring had people that were holdouts that did not have these blocking misattribution systems, but we hmm. can't really do that at this point. So long story short, I just wanted to point out the very interesting mechanics of our mind that most people do not acknowledge or aren't familiar with or sometimes feel that they are better than that. Definitely, definitely some interesting views, man. And uh, yeah. that's a lot. Let them chew on that. <laughs> thank you for being here, C2, and thank you for letting us know about this. And uh, I know when to shut up. Okay, <laughs> good. All right. Later. <laughs> well, I hope that was helpful. It was. Hold on. Wow, that was fucking sick, dude. That was pretty fucking cool, man. Hmm. In the 80s. This is what I got to watch right here. Every night. On USA. <laughs> Man lives in the sunlit world of what he believes to be reality. <laughs> but there is, unseen by most, an underworld. A place that is just as real, <laughs> but not as brightly lit. Wow. A dark side. Well, that would be Adam Air MD, GED, Underground Cartoon Therapy. Stick around for the next episode, bud. Whatever the fuck that is. You're listening to Adam Air MD, GED. Underground Cartoon Therapy. Perfect.